So today we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about faith. I know we've been talking about it week in and week out, and today's your first day. Probably sounds like a great topic, but if you've been here for some time, it's the same exact thing we've been talking about over and over again. And we're not doing that by accident. It's because the Bible tells us very explicitly, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so faith is at the very core of every single thing that we do. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you a couple of examples really quickly. So how many of you walked into this building? I know it's a rhetorical question because we all did. We had faith. We had faith when we walked in this building that this structure was going to hold up. And for every person that sat down in the seat, you had faith that the chair was going to support you. I know, okay, so that's a little bit dumb. Well, how about we go a little bit deeper? How about having faith in people when you say, I'm going to meet, you, meet up with somebody somewhere? You have faith in that person that they're going to be there on time, even though you don't know, but you must have faith in them that they're going to be there. You know, that's a little bit dumb. Let's go a little bit deeper. How about with a spouse? All of us have been in some kind of relationship, and you have to have faith in that person, right? Because you're not with them 24-7. You must have faith that they're doing the right thing whenever you're not with them. So there's another level of faith. So I know we've touched the surface of people, places, and things. So let's go even a little bit deeper. How about to the core of who we are? How about our faith in God? And before I ask this next one, I want you to just take a moment after to ask the question and think deeply internally within your own self and answer before God for yourself. So as you go through your life and contemplate having to stand before God, what is your faith in? Is it in your ability to appease his wrath or is it in his grace that you obtain salvation from his wrath? Take a moment to think about that. And I pray that it is the latter one. And if it's not, I pray by the end of this message that it may be clear of how it can be. Because that's what we're going to be talking about today, is how Moses obtained salvation from the Lord by believing and having faith in his grace that he was spared for his, his wrath. So we're going to be continuing in through Hebrews 11, if you guys can turn with me to verse 28. In Hebrews 11, 28, we're going to read our text for today. All right, so we've been spending the past couple, four weeks going through the, my, the life of Moses, and now we're at probably the most famous part that everybody knows him for, outside of the Red Sea, the second most famous part, I guess, then, about the Passover. And so we're going to read Hebrews 11, verse 28. And so it reads, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let us pray. Father, you have been so gracious to us, Lord. Your mercy and a grace abounds beyond our understanding. And I pray at this moment that you do the work that only you can do, and that is changing hearts and lives. I am but nothing without your power, and so I ask that you may empower the words that I speak, that it may change lives, that they may change hearts, Lord, not by my doing, but by your spirit, and that my own heart may be changed. I pray, Lord, at this time that you may bring it clear where we stand before you, and that you may give us the strength and the guidance that we may be able to fall before your feet, worshiping you and praising you, knowing that you have saved us. And so, Lord, I pray 
over your word, that it may be clear. And just thank you for your grace and your mercy, that you are God that hears us. Thank you for all that you have done. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, so before we get into what we're talking about today, let me give a little bit of context of what's been going on with Moses. So Moses, after he left out of Egypt the first time, he went into the wilderness for 40 years. And so during this time in the wilderness, he's, he starts a family, and then finally God comes to him and speaks to him through a burning bush. And he calls Moses to come from out of the wilderness and to be the leader that's going to free God's people out of Egypt. But Moses has doubts. He doesn't believe that he speaks well. He doesn't believe that they're going to believe him. And so he questions God. He gives reasons why he should not. But God gives an answer for each one and finally even says to him that he's going to send his brother Aaron with him as a spokesman. And so God sends Aaron and Moses as spokesmen to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh that they must let God's people go, that they may go worship him. Pharaoh not only says no, but he also increases their workload. He says that they won't even have the supplies anymore. They must fend for themselves. So now the Israelites are doing a heavy workload, plus they don't even have the supplies to be able to do it. And so after they go back to Pharaoh, then starts these series of plagues. That God says to Pharaoh that I'm going to show you who is God through these series of plagues. Starting off first with the Nile turning to blood. And then there's a frog infestation. And then there's a gnat infestation. Then there's flies. And then God kills a large amount of their livestock. And then there's boils and sores all over the humans and their beasts. Then he sends deathly hail to them. Hail the size that was killing people the way it was hitting them. And after that, there's another infestation of locusts. And then he sends darkness upon them, so dark that they could not see each other for three whole days. And then they finally come to the last plague, which is the killing of the firstborn, which we are going to be talking about today, which is in the Passover. And so that word Passover, the Greek word for it is pascha, and basically what it means is to pass over, or even simpler, Passover by sparing. And this was God's very first ordinance that he gave the Israelites, and probably the most important. It was to be a perpetual memorial celebrating God's sparing of their firstborn and him freeing them from the Israelites. And so they were to celebrate this every single year in the first month of the year. And this was almost like their Independence Day, that they would celebrate this time that God freed them from the Israelites and spared their firstborn. And so we find the account and the details of what God actually spoke to them in Exodus 12, which we're not going to turn to, but if if you get the time to go back and look at the passage, it's a a long passage, but it's great with rich detail and depth to the specifics of God and what he told them to do. And that's in Exodus 12, the whole chapter, and we're going to focus and look at verses 1 through 11. And so in, in verses 1 through 11, God tells them to choose a spotless lamb on the 10th day of the month. And they were to stay with this lamb for four days, and on that fourth day, the 14th day, They were to slaughter this lamb as a congregation. So all of Israel would come together and slaughter their spotless lamb. They then were to take hyssop branches, which is a type of plant, and they were to take this branch and dip it in the blood and spread it upon their doorposts. And after that, they were to take the lamb, roast it, and eat it. And they were to do this up until midnight, and whatever was not eaten, they were to burn it. And God not only commanded the details of that. He even told them how they were even to do it, the very clothes they were to wear. 
They were to have their belts fastened, their sandals on, and their staff in hand, and in haste. They were to be ready to go. And then the Lord, at midnight, would come through, pass through, and strike every firstborn, human and beast, who did not have the blood of the Lamb on the door. And let us take a moment to just pause and to see the majesty of God and the continuity of how he saves people. I know I've asked the question and I've heard it asked to myself also, how did God save people in the Old Testament? He saved them the same exact way that he saves us today. And that is by grace through faith that he saves us. And though the, ch- man, the channel or means may be different, it is the same source. God is still the source supplying his grace. And though he does it in different ways in different times, it is still the same way that they must have faith in the grace that he extends to them for them to be to obtain salvation from his wrath. And we see that Moses demonstrated this. And that it says here in 1128, in Hebrews 1128, that by faith he kept the Passover. So we see it was by his faith that he kept this Passover. And another aspect of faith that I wanted to see that was, I didn't notice at first, but as I went back and looked through it, it, it popped out to me, was they had to have faith in God's provision. Because just imagine, God says to us that we're all about to go on a journey. We're about to go into a wilderness, and we do not know how long it is. And he gives us a bunch of food. And he says, eat this food, but burn the rest of it. I know for me and I know for my wife, we probably would have said, grab some Tupperware, tuck a little bit to the side to make sure we had some for the journey because you don't know how long you're not going to be able to eat. But we see their faith in them, that they trusted in God's provision to say, God, we trust you even if we don't know how we're going to find our next meal. So that's another element of faith that we see in here. And there's so much more that we're not going to be able to get into all today. And so my challenge for you is to go back through Hebrews 12, I'm sorry, Exodus 12, and look at all the implications of what the Passover is telling us, and there's deeper significance of it. And just to start you off, look up what the um, hyssop means, what the hyssop branches are. There's a lot deep significance that just to start you off, and if you can find more, I'd love to hear what you're able to find. So that's my challenge for you, is to go back through Exodus 12 and just see all the implications of the Passover and what they have for us also. So we're going to move now into the second aspect of the verse where he says, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. So this aspect of the blood is very important. It's actually the most important part. And in Exodus 12, 13, which you can turn to, we're going to look at what does God say about the blood. So I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. And it says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. So you see that they were passed over, not because they were righteous, not because they stayed up all night praying, or even how well they even painted the blood upon the door. The Bible tells us very clearly the reason that they were passed over was because the blood was there. 
And that we can have assurance in that same exact thing, that it is because of the blood that they were saved, and it's because of the blood that we will be saved. And so we see that Moses not only just had faith in God telling what God told him, we see his faith manifested by him applying the blood to his door. Yet again, there's so much depth with just these couple of words. And another challenge I give you is to dig deeper even into what the blood even means. And there's even a couple of parallels that I wanted to point out, three of them specifically, of Christ. And we can see when Christ says that all the scriptures testify him, he was not joking when he said that, and there, those words are true, and the Passover is a perfect example of that. And so those three things that I want to, the parallels we're going to look at about Christ is the first one is Christ as the lamb. The second one is Christ as spotless. And the third one is Christ as blood. So the very first one, Christ as the lamb. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 29, you don't have to turn to it, you can write it down. John the Baptist proclaims that Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He, when he saw Jesus come and he identified him clearly and knew that it was by the lamb that they were going to be saved and he called Jesus that very lamb. Paul takes it a step even further in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 and he calls Jesus our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. So Jesus and the Passover lamb were both to be sacrificed to save God's chosen people from his wrath. And so we see the connection between Jesus and what the lamb may be. The second aspect is Christ as spotless. In 1 Peter 1.19, Peter calls Jesus' blood spotless as a lamb without blemish. And this is the same exact thing that the Jews were to do. They were to choose a spotless lamb. And this is what makes Christ so beautiful to us. It makes him so otherly than us that he is spotless, that he is sinless. He is so far beyond us morally. He is divine, but he is also true humanity, what humanity should have been if we had never would have sinned, but also a foretaste and a foreshadow of what humanity will be once we have been restored and made new, that there will be no more sin. Christ sets that example for us, and that he was a spotless lamb. So that makes him, the same way as God told them to have a spotless lamb, that they would the perfect sacrifice because they were without blemish. And the third one, the one that the writer of Hebrews focuses in on is the blood. And this was the basis for God sparing the Israelites. And in Hebrews 9, verse 14, it tells us that it is by the blood of Jesus that we will be cleansed to be able to serve the living God. And so our only hope to be able to stand before God, have any righteousness before him, is because of the blood of the Lamb of Christ. If you guys don't mind, indulge me for a moment. I have a little story that's going to help to, to bring light to what does that mean, and even what does that mean for me personally. So one thing I'm, I'm continuously amazed at, how God's providence always continues to work. Like as a father, he knows what I need and the time I need it, and, and even is supplying that far before I can even see it, and even decisions I make from far before are influenced in such a way that he knows I'm going to need in a time. And so for me, that was last year, I ended up choosing my vacations. It'll all, come to, it'll all come together. I chose my vacations, and I chose this week that just passed. And so I was excited. Me and my wife were going to go up to see my mom. And in Boston, we had a flight all planned and everything. 
couple months later, we find out that Bria is pregnant with my daughter. We're excited about that. But it also meant we couldn't take our trip. So because her, the date that the doctor said that we could not take the trip was the very day that I start vacation. So we had to cancel the entire trip. Fast forward a couple more months. And I'm starting to go just through a deeper, darker sadness in my own life. And it's nothing external. I'm going through just a depression in my own time. And it's nothing external because everything around me has been going well. Promotions, my family's doing good, my wife is doing good. Everything has been going well, but this has been a deep sadness within my soul. And even to the point sometimes where I would wake up in the middle of night just fearing, just fearing death, asking the question of, am I really saved? Do I really believe? And struggling with these doubts. And I say all of this to you not to be pitied. Or not for you to even feel sorry for me. I say this because I know that many go through this. That many go through deep sadness of the soul, wondering if you are alone. Wondering if anybody else has gone through this very same thing. And I'm here today to tell you that I have. And God's grace has been so wonderful to me. And I fast forward now to this past week that I've had this vacation and I had nothing but time, so I asked him that I may be able to preach. And so I knew I was going to have a lot of time. And so what I ended up doing was I took this time to be able to preach, and this passage brought me back to a sermon that I heard from a very long time ago. I'm actually going to read the sermon excerpt and how it encouraged me. It encouraged me because it gave words and brought me back to the reality of where my insurance should be, where my hope should lie. And I pray that it may do the same for you, that you may have encouragement, that you may have strength when you are assaulted in your conscience. When Satan and all of his and all of his are attacking your conscience, telling you, forget God, give up on God, forsake all. When you're doubting within your own self and feeling forsaken by God, may you find assurance, assurance in him. And so I'm going to read this sermon excerpt, and I pray that it may be life for you also, as it has been for me. So it's from a pastor named D.A. Carson, and this is an excerpt out of his sermon. And he says, picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. The day before the Passover, they're having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, Well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and daubed the two doorposts with blood? Put the blood on the lintel? Haven't you done that? You all ready to go and packed? You're going to eat your whole Passover meal with your family? Of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary when you think of all the things that have happened around here recently. You know, flies and river turning to blood. It's pretty awful. And now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed, you know? It's all right for you. You've got three sons. I've only got one, and I love my little Charlie. And the angel of death is passing through tonight. I know what God says. I put the blood there, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. 
because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercise, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough? If God can ever care for, enough, care for us enough after we have done such stupid things after being Christians for so long? What are you going to say? Oh God, I tried, you know? I did my best. It was a bad moment. No, no, no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb. There is the ground of all the human insurance before God. There is the ground of our faith, not guaranteed intensity of faith. So fickle are we. It is not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the blood, on the ground of the blood of the lamb. So be encouraged, brethren, when you're going through these times of doubt, when you feel like your faith is fickle, when you feel like you have no more hope, be encouraged that it is upon the blood that you find your assurance. It is not upon our strength, but Christ's strength and his blood that we find assurance and that we are saved from his wrath. And so let us see what that wrath is that they had to face as we ought to contemplate the wrath that we must face. So let's can continue on. The end of 1128, he says, So that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So when I first read this word destroyer, I was a little bit confused. And I, my honest first impression, I thought of the Transformers for some reason. So I went to that for some reason when I saw the destroyer. But... There's a little bit more depth to what the destroyer actually was. And the destroyer, I'm going to say it simply, but also I'm going to explain why it came to this conclusion. So it doesn't explain to us exactly who it is, but we know it to be God. And even though it was God, he also sent his angel. And it's similar to how if we go into war, and let's say the country, our country, the United States, goes to war, and that the country wins that war, the country destroys another country. It's not actually the country who did the work, even though they have the authority and the power, and they're the one who authorized it, is they sent a soldier to do the work. In that same way, God sent an angel throughout to destroy the firstborn of whoever did not have the blood. So the destroyer is God. He takes responsibility for what, ha what happens to the Egyptians, and he even takes responsibility for his saving of the Israelites. And if you need some passages to help you understand this a little bit better, there's one in Psalm 78, verses 40 through 55, which actually gives this account. And there's a similar account to this happening in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 6, verse 16. And so as we come to a close, let's look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, really quickly. So Exodus 12, 12 reads, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. So we see that God's judgment was not just on the humans or the beasts, but it was even upon the gods of Egypt. And so as you... 
able to go back through the plagues, each of these plagues, God was judging a God of Egypt. He was showing them because they had plenty of gods. They were a polytheistic community, a polytheistic society. But they had a God of the sun, they had a God of fertility, a God of the water, a God for anything you could probably think of. And God was demonstrating to them that they did not actually have the power that they thought they had, but the power was in God. And so his judgment upon them was showing them that they were nothing compared to him. And even to Pharaoh, he was judging Pharaoh by killing off the firstborn. As Tim talked about a couple weeks, a couple weeks ago when he was talking about Moses and the story of when Moses was born as a baby, there was something that Pharaoh had did. He had called for every male child to be destroyed. He had told all the Hebrew midwives to destroy the, the male children and save the girls. And so we see God reversing that back onto Pharaoh and taking the firstborn of his nation. And we see that even that's going to happen for our own time and our own age. That there will come a time where God's judgment will fall upon our nation, our world, everything that we know. That he will judge Satan and all that follow after him. And back to the question that I asked from the very beginning. When we're going through life, when we're thinking about the basis of our faith, Is it resting upon yourself and your good works and your ability to uphold a standard? Or do we obtain salvation from the wrath of God by having faith in the grace that he has extended? And that grace that he has extended is the spotless, blameless, beautiful Lamb of God, our Jesus Christ who shed his blood for us who died for our sins that we may not have to bear that burden and bear that wrath. Is your faith in that? And so I encourage you, think deeply about that. Meditate on that and contemplate where does your faith lie when you think about having to stand before God. And as we close, it's a passage that I wanted us to read together as a congregation It's going to be up in the screen in a moment. So I'm going to read just the the first two verses by myself, and we're going to read the last two verses together. So if you guys could please stand, then I'm going to close us in prayer, and then after that, we'll be able to sing and respond in worship. And so like I said from the beginning, If this is not your reality, I pray that you stop and soberly contemplate and think. And I pray that this may become your reality, the end of these last two verses. So I'm going to read the first two. I'm going to stop, and then we're all going to enter in with but God in verse 7. Or I'm sorry, in verse Mm 8. So starting in Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. So for while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Here we go together. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we been saved by him from the wrath of God. Of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, 
How great is your name. Lord Jesus, how precious are you. The lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So Father, as we praise you today, as we respond in worship through song, may we worship the lamb. And that he would sacrifice himself for sinners like us, that we may be spared, that we may be righteous and holy, and that our faith one day may become sight. That we will have new bodies and be on a new earth in the new Jerusalem, praising and worshiping you and enjoying fellowship with each other for all of eternity. And Lord, I pray for those who that's not a reality for them, that you may change their hearts. They may see the beauty in you, Lord Jesus that they may be turned away from the destruction of this world and turned towards the peace, towards the grace and the blood that seals us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. May we worship you and praise you with all that we are. Amen.